Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Okay, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. You made it back again, which I appreciate. Making Data Simple. My guest today is Greg Edwards, who is the CEO of Crypto Stopper. At first, Greg, I thought this was like finally somebody against crypto because I see everybody uh, a part of crypto, but it's nothing to do with that. You can comment on, but Crypto Stopper provides ransomware protection by automatically detecting and stopping actively running ransomware attacks. They are the world's first digital security product to offer 100% ransomware protection, which we will definitely get into. And if I could give you a little background, and then I'll let you give your own experience. Before Greg founded Crypto Stopper, he started Access Backup. Access Backup is a backup and disaster recovery company for the insurance industry. And while he was doing that, between what 2012 and 2015, one in five of Access Backup's clients was hit by a cybercrime. So for an entrepreneur like Greg, he found his next venture. Access Backup was acquired by J2 Global. And then that gave you the opportunity to create Crypto Stopper and then focus exclusively on cybersecurity. That was a great <laughs> intro, Al. It's much better than I could have done. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. You're, you're, you're too kind. So why don't I turn it over to you? you? Tell us how you got here. I mean, what's your experience? What's your background? So I've been in IT um, way longer than I would like to admit, but since 1994, I started my own uh, network consulting business in 1998, right before Y2K, which is perfect time because everyone had to replace everything before Y2K. As you mentioned, started an offsite backup and disaster recovery company, and we were seeing ransomware attacks start as early as 2012. So some of the first attacks that were out there uh, we were seeing and helping companies to recover from those events. And really the light bulb moment for me was we, we started having clients, not having people that weren't even clients calling in and saying, hey, can you help us to recover? And I mean, I can, I can remember talking to some of these people myself on the phone and having mature business owners in tears because of ransomware and, and because they, they were saying, you know, what can we do? And, and if they weren't existing clients of the offsite backup business, it really wasn't much we could do for them. But that's really what instigated and started the thoughts of, okay, how could we, rather than having backup have to be that last line of defense, how could we put in a barrier and a, a secondary last line of defense so people didn't have to go to backups when they were hit by ransomware? Nice. I want to jump into that, but a couple of comments I want to make first. I forgot all about Y2K. Yes, I <laughs> so I'm glad you reminded me. You know the funny thing about Y2K? I was in the business. I was in the database business, and you know the whole world was going to come to an end. All these listeners out there that are millennials that didn't go through it, they don't know anything about it. They probably heard it. But so we like shut everything down. In other words, everybody had to stay in the office. We stayed overnight because I'm in the database business. And we had like all these games brought in and stuff like that to make it kind of a party. And guess what happened? Hmm, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And like about 2 a.m., we all looked at one another and said, we're tired. We're going home. Call me if something happens. So, yeah. Well, not, not to one-up you on that, but I actually had a trip 
and flight scheduled on January 1st of 2000 and flew to Mexico. I mean, I'd been, and you probably did too. I mean, you, you guys pretty well knew nothing was going to happen Why you had the games there. So you had something to do. Yes. Um, but yeah, I actually had a trip booked and a flight to Mexico scheduled 1-1 of 2000. Wow. You weren't afraid that the plane was going to come down or anything because of memory over, over being overwritten or something. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't actually in the air, though. I, I don't know that I would have uh, been quite that confident. But <laughs> You're an Iowa guy, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cedar Rapids? Yep. I grew up in a little bitty town uh, just north and west of Cedar Rapids. Uh, but yeah, live out on a, a farm just outside of Cedar Rapids and north of Iowa City. Is it a remote company then? I mean, yeah, we're 100% remote. Actually started remote uh, pre-pandemic even. So you were remote before it was fashionable then? Yeah, that's right. Well, coming from the backup and disaster recovery world. So we used to do uh, one week every year, you know, before we were completely remote, where we would send everyone home and work completely remote for a week. And... I don't know, probably around, I don't, I should have, wish I knew the exact date, but I'm thinking around 2016 or 2017, I said, you know, why do we even have an office when we know we can work completely remotely? Let's just go do it. And so is it most of the folks in your area are all over the country or uh, all over the world? All over yeah, the world. We are a small business still actually launched crypto stopper as a product at, on its own earlier this year. Prior to that, we were a full uh, managed security services company, but then had developed CryptoStopper because the backup world and nothing else was stopping ransomware. And how, how big is the company? Uh, so 12 employees. 12, that, well, that's fine. Iowa, our Iowa State fan. Iowa. Of course. <laughs> yeah. We had to ask anyway, though. And so I, I would imagine Iowa State is then the nemesis. It, absolutely. Other than, you know, as long if they're not playing Iowa, we want to see them win. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, they're like the little brother. I, I yeah. See. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, why the name Crypto Stopper? Well, so this goes as far back as Crypto Locker. Oh. Crypto Locker was one of the first big ransomware variants out there. And so we named it Crypto Stopper and the connection to cryptocurrency, stopping the crypto payments. Crypto Stopper, we thought, was a good and catchy name. Well, so tell me more about the stopping the crypto payments. What do you mean by that? What we do is we're watching for that action of encryption and stopping that ransomware attack that's actively happening, and then the payments don't need to be made. Oh, I see. Oh, I see what you're yeah, saying. So, yeah, so we're stopping the cryptocurrency payments. I'm a proponent of cryptocurrency. Don't think that it's going anywhere anytime soon. It's not about stopping cryptocurrency, just stopping uh, the crypto payments for ransomware purposes. I'm a proponent too. I wish I would have invested in it. But the problem with cryptocurrency is you can't tell how much it's worth. It's like a painting. Yeah. So I had a hard time. I just never invested in it. Hopefully you're making good money. I've dabbled. I wouldn't say I'm a serious investor because it is so volatile. That's, uh, I have trouble with it, but uh, I, look, I, I was looking at it like when it was two grand or something, uh, Bitcoin, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> all, all fine. 
I, I, that's not my only uh, mess up or miss. It's yeah. Yeah. always uh, a an act of omission that that hurts me, which is which is fine. Better than losing money. All right. So crypto stopper, tell me about look ransomware is all over the news. I'm curious as to how you define ransomware. What crypto stopper actually does, and what is the nature or the uh, you know, what's the persona of your clientele? I mean, what clients, are you, who's your target market? To start off with, our, our target market are managed service providers. So we're really working to secure CryptoStopper as the number one way for managed service providers to be able to stop ransomware within their client environments. So the end clients are SMBs. So small businesses, um, which I define as between 25 and a thousand users that can step into the mid-market space. But really those are the end clients that we're looking at are companies that are 25 to a thousand employees uh, and serviced by a managed service provider. Does that answer the first part of the multi-part question? Yes, kind of. Why uh, managed services? Oh, I still own a managed services business today. And the amount of ransomware attacks that managed service providers deal with, it's, I mean, you basically, you take an IT department and outsource it to a managed service firm, then they don't have complete control over everything that happens. And so they're dealing with these ransomware attacks. I haven't talked to an MSP in the last 18 months that hasn't dealt directly with a ransomware attack. It's painful for them. And so it was a natural fit for us to sell to other managed service providers. So let me just make sure I'm clear on that. So you actually, in that case, you don't sell to the end user, you sell to the managed service provider to ensure that their end users are, are properly taken care of. Absolutely. Is it a yep. fee that, or a offering that they give to their uh, end users or do they just, they usually just purchase it and cover their end uh, It's about a 50-50 mix. I mean, the, the model is really changing within the MSP space for security. They're all becoming um, security service providers as well as managed service providers. And so it's about a 50-50 mix of whether they have a standardized stack and they will just then add crypto stopper and put that into the stack and that's part of their 2022 security offering or then the other half will go and sell it to their clients we're not selling it to the end clients we're selling it to the managed service providers that makes sense that makes sense so smb managed service clients would you ever sell direct if it wasn't a managed service we've made the decision to not sell direct and that we funnel them all through a reseller. We may, once we move into the enterprise space, which we have plans for in late 2022, then we'll have a direct sales channel for that thousand and over set. And your definition of ransomware? Uh, so definition of ransomware is uh, a system that will encrypt and hold files for ransom and require a, a payment to get that decryption key back. I, in a subset of that, I, I do consider the exfiltration of data and then holding that data and the threat of releasing it publicly. 
I do consider that ransomware as well. But there's so many things. I mean, I think that the the definition of ransomware has almost become so broad that it does need to be defined more narrowly. And my definition of it is something that encrypts files or exfiltrates files and holds them for a ransom. You said uh, earlier that when you were doing the backups, or I said it, but I, I got this from you, you were doing the backups for the insurance industry, something like one of five backups was hit by a cybercrime? Yeah, 20% of our client base was hit by ransomware specifically. I mean, it became more common between, and this is between 2012 and 2015, became more common than any other kind of recovery that we were doing. And I assume that that's held true for other offsite backup providers now. I and mean, we sold to J2 Global back in 2016. And I haven't seen statistics on it of what other backup companies are experiencing, but I would have to assume that it's likely gotten worse. Well, as a backup company, what do you do next? I mean, so you get hit, they've what encrypted or holding files that you can no longer gain access to. What do yeah. you do? Luckily all of our, the way that our backup solution worked is that we required that people had, it was offsite already, um, but we required them to have separate passwords for that backup. So they could recover from backup. But I mean, there's a lot of ransomware out there today that will actually go after, especially the on-site backups and encrypt those. And people think, oh, well, they're encrypted, but they can double encrypt that data. So if you've got your backups that are on the local network, then they're not safe, even if they are encrypted, because they'll run encryption over top of that encryption, if that makes sense. It does make sense. But the thing is, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, which I never really uh, considered you got to be real careful about your backups, right? Because otherwise you're just, you could be pushing it to the backup. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and now the, the more advanced backup solutions, they'll allow you to run a malware scan and run a scan on that data before you put it back in production. And then uh, the really advanced ones will let you put that into a lab environment so that you can recover put it into a lab and see where that intrusion came from. So even if you don't have an advanced endpoint EDR tool, you can then put an EDR tool in that recovery lab and then see where that ransomware initiated and came from. But I mean, the whole point of CryptoStopper is to avoid all of that because I mean, you can imagine, you know, if that's the scenario, you're recovering to a lab you're running, you've got really good backups. I mean, awesome, but your entire company is down this whole time that that's happening. And why put the company through that when there's a solution like CryptoStopper? Not to be salesy and that's not what this is about, but okay. that is the whole reason for creating CryptoStopper so that people didn't have to go to those backups. Are you essentially screwed if it's encrypted? So if the backups are encrypted, yeah. I mean, like, let's say, yes, you, let's say it's, it's a terrible situation where they get both your primary and your backup 
they've got a hold of it. They've encrypted it. Yeah, I mean, really, and I'm not a proponent of paying these guys, but really then your only option is paying. The average ransom payment in uh, 2021 is $512,000. That's what I was going to ask you next is like, how bad is it? Do you, I'm sure you got statistics. Yeah. All over the place. The most common stats that I've seen for the growth of ransomware uh, in 2020, that was a 7x increase over 2019. And then 2021, I've seen anywhere from a 2 to a 4x increase over 2020. So it's these attacks are just multiplying. And then um, every 11 seconds is the most reputable stat that I've seen on how often the successful ransomware attacks are happening. And that that's expected to go to every two seconds by 2030. What was the pipeline that got hit? Uh, Colonial. Colonial. That was a famous one. What'd they pay? Four million? Uh, Five million. And the U.S., I don't know if it was Homeland Security. They're, they're one of the law enforcement agencies actually clawed some of that back. Cryptocurrency, we were talking about the volatility of cryptocurrency. So they paid five million. The agency that recovered it got 2 million back. I mean, they got the full number of crypto coins back, but it had dropped that much in the few weeks before they were able to claw it back. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was actually the value of the cryptocurrency had de decreased. Is that what you're saying? Right. That actually was a ransomware as a service, if you've heard of that. So there's a thing called ransomware as a service where an organization will create a software as a service, and then they will have others that actually deploy it. So it was a secondary hacker that deployed the ransomware that hit Colonial Pipeline. <laughs> ransomware and, and, as a service. That's fantastic. That's the world we live in today. The <laughs> funny thing about that is, and you probably know this better than me, I just find it crazy. I find it interesting that a lot of these ransomware as a service places like are in Russia and they're trying to be legit. They do marketing, they do everything. And then they see, cause they want people to know that if you give us your money, we will legitimately give you your data back and it's all in the up and up and we won't mess with you again. Yeah. <laughs> I've even seen written agreements that they will agree in writing to not attack you for 365 days. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it's laughable, right? You're in a good business, man. I, I don't, <laughs> and so, then the, the other thing about Colonial that was interesting is like, I remember the government, our government saying, hey, we don't deal with ransomware. Don't pay them. But then the company is like, I got to do something. What right. do you want me to do? So they ended up paying the five million. It's good that they got part. I knew they got part of it back, but I didn't realize it was because of the, uh, or they didn't get it all because of the the decrease in valuation. That's interesting. Yeah, but I think yeah. I don't know what else they got. They can do. You can say don't deal with them, but then you it, you're shut down. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Colonial actually had good backups. The reason that they paid is because their recovery time was going to take so long. Yeah, even with the good backups that they had that it was faster to pay and, and unencrypt the files rather than rely on their backups. 
anyone that's been through a recovery, even when you say so if you have a natural disaster or hardware failure and you recover, it's painful and it's time consuming. And companies that are under a thousand employees do not have a two hour recovery window. So there's recovery point objective and recovery time objective. And most companies under a thousand employees don't understand those concepts, don't test against those. And so when they're doing a recovery, many times it's the first time they've ever done it. Yeah. And it's a nightmare. But you say it's 520K on average ransomware per Five, 512 is the average ransom paid. It was, so it was 338,000 in 2020. And mid-year is when I saw the, the 512,000 stat. So I, you know, I don't know exactly where we'll end on the year, but 500 plus is my guess. So it's increasing rapidly is what you're trying to tell me. A lot of these attacks, the attacker will purposely infiltrate and be on the inside of the network. So what we call a hack and attack where they've hacked in and they've penetrated the network already. And they'll look for and find the insurance policies so that they know if they have cyber liability insurance and what the limit of their ransom payment is before they run the ransomware attack. So they do it so they can get the most, wow. You're saying they research, they know what their insurance policy is, is gonna give them. So then they know what to charge. Right. So we were talking about Russia earlier and legitimacy and that these ransomware organizations are setting up like legitimate businesses. In Russia, it is not illegal for an organization in Russia to run a ransomware attack or any kind of data hacking um, attack against another entity as long as it's not in Russia. Well, is it that convenient? Yeah, so there's no, I mean, so they do. You guys can themselves. come here, but don't screw up with our companies. Everybody but, else is okay. All right, yeah. good, good deal. Yeah, and so they are set up as legitimate organizations in Russia because, I mean, they're really seeing that they're taking money from Western countries and bringing it back to Russia, and that's a good thing in their, in their eyes. And it's not illegal, so they are completely, in their eyes, legitimate businesses in Russia. You know, I used to think that digital crime was you know, one-offs, exceptions. I mean, it's here now. I mean, well, yeah. So cryptocurrency is what has given rise to that. And again, I'm a fan of cryptocurrency. It's what has enabled the rise of cybercrime that we see today. Because... Prior to 2012, Bitcoin was introduced in 2009, but really became usable and you know, common in 2012. And if you look back at the rise of just, if you just look at the number of malware that have come on the scene, the rise starting in 2012 coincides almost identically with the number of cryptocurrency transactions. You know, it's made it so that these attackers can be paid completely anonymously anywhere in the world. That's why we have the cybercrime problem that we do, because they've been able to monetize it. This is why Charlie Munger has claimed like 
cryptocurrency the uh, evil of our time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know when when we went from as a human race from bartering to having any kind of currency. There's probably a similar evil at that time, and I do see cryptocurrency not going away. It's a matter of how do governments regulate it? How do you legitimize cryptocurrency? And I, and I think that that's coming. I mean, I think the decentralization and the, the value that's set is so volatile right now, but the value of cryptocurrency is set by the use of it and how you know, it's set by the users. And so I think that that is a model that's that's going to be around. What does your technology do? What, what's so unique about it? And you got to tell me, you offer 100% ransomware protection. You must have a hell of an insurance policy. So that is backed through insurance. That's, <laughs> that's why. It's not 100%. And, and 100% guarantee that we'll stand behind it not that there won't ever be an attack. And actually what our product does is it doesn't stop an attack from happening. We're stopping an active attack. So we're minimizing the damage that happens so that the company doesn't have to go to their backup. Or if they do, I mean, typically in an event, there'll be anywhere from three to 10 files that are hit before our mechanism kicks in and kills the ransomware. So ultimately what we're doing is we're, we're mapping what's normal behavior. And then when ransomware is actually running, it's very anomalous and not normal behavior. So we're watching for that anomalous behavior and then isolating the process that's running it and killing that process. So hold on, let me make sure I understand this. So CryptoStopper software you put on the managed service. So I presume you put, I mean, you, you attach it to what? The APIs, the data itself, what? It's Windows only product at this point. So it's an agent that sits on the laptops and servers and desktops of the managed service provider's clients. And then is watching for that action of ransomware running. What's the trigger event? The trigger event is file change. And so with every ransomware event, it's what it's doing is changing files and right. encrypting them. And so we're watching for that action of encryption. That's again, anomalous because you have normal behavior that will encrypt files and you have normal user behavior to change files. So we've got to make sure we're not intruding and creating false positives and creating more more problems than we're solving for. That's exactly what we do is watching when, and again, why there will be a few files that are hit, but when you're talking five files instead of 5 million files that are hit, that's a much better outcome and is an event that's almost like when been in the technology industry long enough, you can remember the days when we had malware that happened and the IT department would just re-image the machine and put it back on the network. Well, that rarely ever happens anymore because the malware that gets through are almost exclusively ransomware. 
And so it's a devastating event. And you think about, you know, yeah, it's a few of those malware that get through. Well, when it's ransomware, it doesn't take more than one for it to be devastating to a company. Yeah, no, no. So I understand. You essentially have an agent always running, looking out for file changes and encryption. Well, at some point it will trigger what? Shut down the system? Uh, so it'll actually just identify the process that's running and kill that process. And then, I mean, it sends notifications to the security admin of exactly what happened, what the process was that was running and who the user was. Uh, we do also have a server version that will run at a server and watch file shares. And then that will create a firewall rule that isolates the machine that's running the ransomware. Because when it happens in a networked environment, it starts at a desktop or laptop and starts encrypting shared files across the network. We'll then isolate that device and firewall it off and then shut it down also. Makes sense. Well, it will shut it down. Is that what you said? It, it will. Yeah, it will shut it down. Those are admin controllable if they want it to actually shut it down. I mean, that's our recommendation is to shut that device down so that then security admin can look and, you know, determine what happened and remediate the event. So IBM, you know, I've got some familiarity here because we've got what's called IBM safer payments. That's fraud detection. Uh, and, yep. um, you know, it'll identify threats. We've also got a product called open pages, et cetera. What differentiates your product? Um, so, I mean, the big differentiator is that active agent that's running and it's running at the windows kernel level. And so we're really looking at the user rather than just looking at the entire network and trying to identify behavior at the network level, we're looking at the user level. And that's why we have the agent that we do that's sitting at every laptop and every desktop. The agent would have to run across all users with it, huh? It does. Yep. But then it can identify what you're saying is it can identify the actual user. Right. The user and the process that's running it. That's running it and encrypted. But it, and you, let me just repeat again. It will shut down that process or will it, will. it leave it to the admin to do that? No, it'll, it's automated response. It'll shut it down. So if I was wanting to do some encryption, I'd want to shut that agent off. Well, yes. I turn it, <laughs> so, <laughs> turn it back on. Yes. So we protect it against that also uh, and have password protected the installation so that it can't just be uninstalled or can't just be stopped. So what does a hundred percent ransomware protection really mean then? Because you're, they're going to get hit by uh, a, you know, some of the encryption before you detect it. What do you essentially guarantee? That they're not going to be taken completely down because of a ransomware event. That's a pretty wide definition, isn't it? It is, and and we have some legalese around right. what the what the terms and conditions are. That makes sense. You got any AI built in or anything? Uh, so we haven't yet. So we are planning to. Um, we don't feel like we have enough of a data set to 
make the AI viable. We're at on about 15,000 endpoints. Once we get to the 100,000 endpoint level, then we feel like that'll be a large enough data set to make the AI. You VC funded or are you? Um... We're angel investor funded. Um, so started out bootstrapped and have grown and have taken a couple of million dollars in funding and actually planning to do a VC round uh, in 2022 for a $6 million raise. And then you're looking at, that's awesome. You said you were looking at expanding toward more enterprise level. Yep. For, what's the catalyst that takes you from SMB to enterprise? $6 million in VC funding. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> all right. Well, so what's the technology that's going to, what's the difference in? So getting to that 100,000 endpoints protected is really the trigger. And it's in then adding the AI to the system at that point. That's really the enterprise trigger for us along with the, the funding. What will the AI, what, what's your plans with AI? I mean, we've already mapped what we see as normal user behavior, but with AI, we can get down and, and, and so we've made that very broad statement of, okay, this is what we see as normal user behavior, but with AI, we can map that down to the individual company and the individual user of what is, what's normal behavior for that user and for that company. That makes sense. I was reading on your, I think a website that you had, you talk about ransomware being the number two threat to businesses today. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so, uh, and that may have flipped in 2021. So business email compromise was the number one or most common threat uh, in 2020. Now, 2021, that may have flipped and ransomware may be the number one now. So many people were hit by email compromise that uh, I can't say everyone because it hasn't happened yet, but most people have enabled at least multi-factor authentication into their, whether it's Office 365 or G Suite. Um, and so that's driving down the number of the business email compromises that are happening. If you're a small or SMB business out there, obviously you're gonna tell me you recommend getting uh, crypto software. What other yeah, actions do you suggest anybody should take? So even above, Crypto stopper, like if you haven't done the basic cybersecurity hygiene. So by that, I mean, password, having good passwords, complex passwords, um, patch management is uh, those two things. Like if you're not doing those, don't bother buying crypto stopper yet, like get those done. And, and then, I mean, fully layered security. I mean, that's my background is in managed security services. So having a fully layered security approach with um, really, I don't see EDR as the solution, but XDR where it's doing um, detection and response across the entire network and pulling in additional data points to that detection and response. Managed antivirus, like antivirus has to be there. 77% of successful ransomware attacks happen against companies that have up-to-date antivirus. 
which sounds horrible, but you still have to have antivirus. So a managed antivirus, managed patch management, a managed XDR solution. I mean, all of those things along with then password policies and good, good data policies around the network. Patch management, say more on there. Uh, so patch management being a system that's going to watch all of the assets on the network and make sure that they're up to date. Software patches and vulnerability scanning to then make sure that you don't have devices on your network that have open vulnerabilities. So if I'm a listener out there that, uh, you know, is, is concerned, you know, I think most people are concerned with ransomware if they own a business of any size or, or doesn't matter what size, but right. um, when should they think to giving Greg a call? <laughs> About a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, tomorrow would be a good day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that from the standpoint of like, if, I think if I hear one more person say, oh, but we're not a target because we're too small. <laughs> Any Anyone that has an internet connection and a bank account, you're a target. So take action. You knock on wood, it hasn't happened to me. But I mean, there's so many emails that come in. I mean, they look legit. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing they're doing a great job. And you're like, no, not gonna happen. And, you know, I figure yeah. they'll, they'll call me or whatever. I don't so so I actually have uh, a friend that owns a company called Fish Cloud that's a yeah. very cool technology that you should have on the podcast next that All they right. have a system that will give a red, yellow, or green on every link that comes through. So it doesn't matter whether it's in an oh, email cool. client or some other way. It's you know, It'll show the user how risky that site is that they're about to click on. And it highlights it as they hover over. I mean, that's usually a real a dead giveaway in terms of where that link's going, right? Yeah. Well, but the problem is, just like you said, and, and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, you're busy. You've got... I don't know how many unread messages are in your inbox today, but mine's a lot. <laughs> a lot, right? So you're clicking through emails and I go oh, click and be even when we're educated and I am, I mean, luckily and knock on wood, I haven't done it that I actually clicked through a malicious link, but we're so busy. And when you take away the experience that you and I, and a lot of our listeners have, and it's a regular user or better yet CEO of a company that is super busy, there's just no way that we can get to the point where they're never going to click on a malicious link. I hear you. Where can folks reach you? Our website is getcryptostopper.com and find all the information out there to connect up with us, see a demo uh, and check it out. Is, uh, is that where you want folks to go if they wanted to get in touch with you personally as well? So my, and I'm comfortable giving out my personal email address is gedwards at getcryptostopper.com. You better make sure you've got your fish cloud set up so you don't get that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have? Good question. I mean, maybe, you know, what's on my farm? <laughs> what is on your farm? We got alpacas over there or something? Uh, so alpacas are coming next. So we've had uh, goats and cattle. But we have a neighbor that have 
uh, alpaca, and that'll that'll probably be the next edition. Now, why get an alpaca? Tax write-off? Cute and cuddly. That's why. And and I've become. I used to raise cattle to have beef in the freezer, but I can't do it anymore. Too soft-hearted now. I can't raise them and take them to the butcher. And so alpaca, you can keep and you you don't take those to the to the butcher shop. So what else do you have on the farm? How many acres you got? Uh, 60 acres. I, I'm a wannabe farmer, not not a real farmer. It's hard to be a farmer and then, uh, you know, have a job like you have. So I imagine that that contributes to it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you do for fun? Uh, so I'm a pilot. That's probably the number one thing that I do for fun and stress relief uh, is go fly. Wow, what do you fly? Uh, I fly a Lancer 360. Uh, so actually a buddy of mine and I built it. So it's a kit built plane, wow. uh, that we built and I wasn't the first to go fly it. I was going to say, that's, <laughs> that's the kicker. You build it and you say, all right, you go first. <laughs> uh, there's actually test pilots out there. So we hired a test pilot come and do that first flight and inspected everything. And there's FAA certification on it. Um, and then, yeah, they inspect it and go fly it. Could you have bought a new plane for the price you played to build one? Not with these capabilities. So yes, but it'll go 700 mile range and 240 miles an hour. Yeah. Not bad. I got a, I got a couple of friends that, that fly, not me. I, I'm a passenger. In Kansas city. What is the County? It's a County executive airport. Johnson um, County Johnson, Airport. Yep. I live right next door to it. I've flown into there many times. My sister-in-law lives in Leewood. Well, I literally, if you flew into it, I, I probably saw your plane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding yeah. you. I'm not close. I'm not close. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. See? Small world we live in. Absolutely. Yeah, Great. it is a small world. Good to talk to someone else here in the Midwest. Yeah, I know. You don't get to talk to people, that many people in the Midwest, do you? Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Greatly appreciated. It's a very interesting topic. I mean, I think it's unfortunately, but good for you here to stay for some time. Where do you think your company will be in five years? So, I mean, I fully expect that a larger company will fold this technology into their stack uh, and then be able to take it globally. I don't see that we'll grow it to a multi-billion dollar company um, and that it'll be something that is folded into another technology stack. Did you, I mean, were you on the front lines here, did you write a lot of the the agent or did uh, you were really the, the leader that directed traffic here? So a combination of both. I mean, I've been, uh, I mean, I've been a geek all my life and really the technology is what excites me. So, and um, I feel that, that as a, as a business leader, I'm, I'm a good leader, but up to a certain point. So once we get to a hundred plus employees, I don't see being a good leader of that size yeah. of company. Say so tap out. You'll do what? Yeah. Would you, what would you do? You do a like a? Would you go to CTO? Would do what? Would you do? I would want to exit completely and start the next thing. So so go on to the next one and start all over again. Then. Yep. Good yep. For you. If, if my wife will let me do another one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're very successful. Sounds like you're you're doing well and you're growing. So good for you, man. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun ride. Well, good luck Anywhere. to you. Good luck to uh, 
crypto stopper and uh, you know, we'll check in on you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Listeners, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, reach out to us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. I shall see you on the podcast. Have a good one. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Out.